today we are talking about scarcity marketing and everything that influences us to make that purchase in the sense of the FOMO that we might feel um, when there's a time limit, when there's a special deal happening, when there's only so many things left. And what we're going to explore is the four types or four tactics of scarcity marketing, which are exclusivity, rarity, urgency, and excess demand. I bought a pair of shoes that I didn't need The same ones I saw on my Instagram feed My feet hurt real bad and my bank account's dry I made a bad decision and I don't know why Some people may say I blew it But marketing made me do it Welcome to our next episode. I'm already losing track which Same. episode it is. <laughs> Same. If it's your first time listening to Marketing Made Me Do It, we are a new podcast wherever you get your podcast. I'm your host, Sylvia, and I'm here with... I'm your host, Sydney Bingham. And together, we like to explore the marketing world and dive into how it connects to life and our everyday decision making. And so today, we will be talking about scarcity marketing. But before we do, we always like to kind of, you know, keep it cash and talk about what's new in life. What's what is something that marketing made us do or didn't make us do? So Sydney, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, so this topic of scarcity marketing really impacts me. And as we did research, I realized I had an example of scarcity marketing in my life from like the last two weeks. And that is, you know, in Flagstaff, we don't have air conditioning, so I don't have air conditioning in my house. And usually it's tolerable. It's like two weeks of you can't really get much sleep, you're very uncomfortable. And then it passes and it's it's fine. And everything's back. It's fine. It's, we don't need air conditioning. But monsoon this year, season starts. Yeah, monsoon season starts. But this year's been really hot for like a month. And we were expecting a heat wave. I was out of town. And I, I told my husband, I'm like, just buy whatever air conditioner, you know, like a stand-up unit that you want. It's fine. Let's just get it. And so he did research. He found one. And he committed to it. And then the next day it was sold out. And so I told him, I'm like, I, was, I wasn't in town, otherwise I would have helped him with this. But I told him, like, just go and buy one. It's like, <laughs> they're going to be sold out. Just go and buy I don't care what it costs. Just go and buy one. But it was that scarcity of they're all going to be sold out tomorrow if you don't mm-hmm. jump today. And that we're not even going to have the option to be cooler. So just go. Spend the money. I don't care. But the scarcity feeling, there's always, like, a certain panic for me that I feel when things start to become scarce. And that's what I felt in that moment of like, I don't care. You can spend what you need to. I don't care. Just get it because I don't want to miss out on that opportunity. I'm so be hot. I don't want to be hot and not be able to sleep. And, you know, we have a, an, an elder dog. I don't want her to be uncomfortable. So, mm. yeah. So that was my example. I would say marketing made me do it to an extent where I just knew everyone was promoting these air conditioners. They're being placed at the front of stores and they're selling out because it's so hot and the demand is so high. Yeah, totally. That's a good one. And so fitting time-wise with our episode. <laughs> I try. I try. <laughs> See, for me, I um, I guess it goes hand in hand with our mini episode uh, last week that we recorded. I, You know how Amazon has all these deals mm-hmm. and especially those deals that are only there for like, I don't know, 
three hours and you see that little red bar just getting closer and closer down yep or even um limited to only a certain amount of people can claim this deal and Mm -hmm. again this red bar just like gets closer and closer to the finish line And so also kind of a form of scarcity marketing. Yeah, absolutely. And if I hadn't had that self-control and uh, a limited budget, I would have definitely jumped on uh, a couple of deals that even from my list that I have, I have an ongoing list on Amazon or multiple mm-hmm. actually, about uh, of things that I eventually want to buy when I do have that disposable income. And there specifically was a uh, fur vacuum cleaner on oh, okay. sale. And normally I think it's $150 and it was, I think, reduced to like, I think 99 something something like that and so I was very close but then I was like do I really need like is it gonna make a huge difference in my life if I'm gonna get it like now versus I don't know in three months from now no so I ended up not buying it so I was responsible yay me I'm tapping myself on the shoulder (laughs) (laughs) but uh, yeah it definitely almost had me yeah, you showed restraint. Good job. Thanks. Yeah, you can't always <laughs> jump on it, but it does cause that like, ooh, I, it's it's not going to be available much longer. <laughs> I know, and it's such a good deal. Yeah. I'm saving so much money. Am I though? Yeah. Can I just get it later? Usually the answer is yes. Usually the answer is <laughs> yes. And usually when I save money like that, it's like, oh my gosh, I would have spent $150 on it. I'm just going to buy another thing, which is going to be equal to $150. Now I mm-hmm. got two things for the one price that I would have paid for the one thing anyways. So. Yep. Been there. <laughs> well, um, as we both kind of had a scarcity marketing topic already, let's just dive right into our topic awesome. today. Yeah. <laughs> And so scarcity marketing, what is it? And have you been in touch with it before? The answer most likely is yes. I mean, I see it almost every day in my feeds or when I am on Amazon or Ulta or whatever, and I have those limited time offer deals. Um, It's oftentimes, yeah, something that is limited by time that, you know, is trying to be exclusive. So maybe not everyone can have it is putting some sort of a restraint on a product or a service. Typically brands use, you know, the um, scarcity marketing to make it a product or a service interesting to get chatter around it and to increase that demand. Even two weeks ago, in our last main episode, we talked about the German potato Mm -hmm. and how Frederick the Great rebranded the potato in Germany. And actually, he made the potato exclusive, which piqued the demand. So people really wanted it and stole it and grew grew potatoes. So if we peel the onion back just a little bit further and we talk about scarcity, the word, what is scarcity? To put it simply, scarcity is the condition of having insufficient resources to cope with demand. And what's the law of scarcity? It is the desire that if something is appears to be limited in supply, we perceive the value of it much greater than it might actually be. So scarcity is a very, very common marketing tool that we use to drive demand and get people to buy stuff they may or may not need. Yep. Um, so yeah, why is it so effective? It's that FOMO. It's really yeah. that fundamental psychological concept of the fear of missing out. We don't we don't want to miss out, right? We want mm-hmm. to we want to have the exclusive things. We want to be able to have the conversations with our friends who buy these things that we also want to buy and be part of the conversation. Yeah, if we if we see that something is limited, we most often want it that much more. 
And so like I've said at the very beginning, there are four main tactics of scarcity marketing. We have exclusivity, we have rarity, we have urgency, and we have excess demand. And so we both have, I think, a couple of great examples. Uh, Sydney, do you want to kick us off with exclusivity? Yeah, exclusivity, my favorite. For exclusivity, I'm going to talk about the Hermes Birkin bag. Oh, the Birkin bag. Oh, the Birkin bag. Um, And really, this could be about the Birkin or the Kelly bag. I am not a consumer of Hermes at this point in my life. So, um, but I do have some great sources for this episode. Um, MadisonAvenueCouture.com, Sotheby's.com, and a content creator called Lily Shops. She's on YouTube. So if you all haven't heard about the Hermes Birkin or Kelly bag, you know, really what makes this bag so special? Well, it's highly coveted. If you are on TikTok, you might have heard about this. There's there's just a lot of information about Hermes and these coveted bags. Um, why is it so coveted? Well, the craftsmanship is really there. Um, according to one of the websites, these bags take 18 months to produce. So that's quite a long time for wow. a like handbag, in my opinion. But also kind of what I feel more importantly, what makes them so special and so exclusive is the fact that they're not really widely available. Hermes bags range in price from about 10000 for a leather bag to over 200000 for a crocodile or a diamond Birkin. I don't even know what a diamond Birkin is, but 200000 the most expensive Hermes bag, Hermes Birkin, sold for $450,000. Whoa. Yeah, so it is an expensive bag, but I think it's so expensive because it's exclusive. Mm-hmm. And so Hermes, they strictly limit the production of new Birkin bags. And to purchase one, you actually have to be invited to purchase a bag by a sales associate. So you have to get an exclusive invite to purchase a Birkin bag. Oh, no way. Buying one of these bags has been (laughs) described as an odyssey. You're embarking on an odyssey. Uh, You can't just go on the website and buy one. They're not available. You can't walk into a boutique and buy one. They don't even have them on the shelves. And so you have to be invited. You have to get an offer to purchase an Hermes Birkin bag. And not everybody gets an offer. Wow. So there's five steps to purchase a Birkin bag. (laughs) So if you're interested, um, there's a lot of people doing articles about like how to purchase a Birkin. And so these come from my sources. So the, the first thing to do is, you know, you walk into the store You have to become friends with a sales associate. I feel like Birkin employees are like the loneliest people in the world because (laughs) there's a strategy and the strategy involves number one, become a friend with the Hermes sales associate. Yeah. You need to develop an authentic relationship with that sales associate. What does that mean? (laughs) Um, Yeah, you have to be like legitimately their friend. So you know, you go into an Hermes boutique, you kind of scope out who are the sales associate, who am I going to vibe with the most? Maybe you have a friend or a family member introduce you to their sales associate, but really you only get one. You get one sales associate and they're going to become your bestie over the next six months to two years as you embark on this odyssey. You only shop from that one person. Mm -hmm. So no shopping online, no doing anything else. You just shop from that one sales associate. They're your new best friend. The first time you meet with said sales associate, don't ask for a Birkin. (laughs) (laughs) It's the thing that you want. It's the reason you came into the store. But I mean, don't be so desperate, right? Okay. Noted. Yeah. When you're visiting Hermes, the store to talk to your new bestie, 
make sure you dress well, preferably dress in Hermes. Like number one, show that you have money. Don't wear the same thing every time. They're going to know. And and demonstrate knowledge, you know, read the history of Hermes, scope of the site. Make sure you you are that brand ambassador. You're such a fan, hardcore fan. So um, that's just a tip for, I mean, the first and subsequent visits. Just be that Hermes nerd. (laughs) You also have to buy a lot of things before you'll get that invitation to purchase a Birkin. So purchase a lot, but just only with that one person. Don't mix it up because they're going to get the commission Mm -hmm. from your purchases. So that's a good way of establishing friendships is just giving them more more money. Money. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds Um, very authentic. There are some high commission categories that are recommended to purchase from Hermes. So even though you really want that, that bag, that Birkin or the Kelly, you know, you should be buying fine jewelry, home goods, ready to wear clothes, and um, the rule of thumb is that if you want to buy a $12,000 bag, you should, you will have to at least spend $12,000 on other things just to get that bag, that invitation to purchase. Although that depends on the boutique that you're shopping with. So if you're shopping at like a San Francisco Hermes boutique where their general population has just a lot of millionaires, you're going to have to spend more money to stand out from the crowd and get mm-hmm. that invite to buy a Birkin. So really the rule of thumb is like a one-to-one ratio bag to other Hermes products. Gotcha. But you might spend up to six figures on other things trying to get this Birkin bag. Holy moly. Yeah. But you know what? Now it makes sense as to why when Logan bought Rory the Birkin, I'm talking about Gilmore Girls for Don't. Okay. For I don't, haven't seen Gilmore Girls. You have not no. seen Gilmore Oh my gosh. Like that's the stuff I grew up on. Anyways. <laughs> I haven't. Um, Gilmore Girls, you have to watch. I think you would love the, the humor. But so for all the Gilmore Girls fans out there, I'm talking about that scene in the pool house where the grandma pulls out the Birkin bag. She's mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, he got you a Birkin bag? Mm-hmm. And I never understood like why she was so flabbergasted that he bought her that Birkin bag. But now I get yeah. it. And same. I mean, I'm not a bag proficionado, but the, to me, it's like they just look like a bag you know it's like there's nothing super special about them but if you know you know you know yeah (laughs) and so the final step that we're at step five of your odyssey is eventually you do have to like hint to your sales associate like you know I'm buying all this other stuff I'm spending fifty thousand dollars you're welcome but you know I really kind of do want a Birkin you know (laughs) I was just I've never had one before what a coincidence yeah just hint that you really actually kind of want one um and then basically, once once you get there, once you develop that relationship, the store, Hermes, will get their you know, new shipment of Birkin bags, and hopefully you'll be friend of mind so that your sales associate will call you and be like, hey, girl, you got to come. You got to come now because <laughs> I've got a bag with your name on it. So basically, what is it like to be offered a Birkin? You're taken into a back room at Hermes, and there's the unboxing of that, like, bright orange Hermes box and they show you the bag and the bag that you're seeing is the bag that they have at the store so it's not necessarily the one that you coveted might not be the same color different size it's a complete surprise of Mm -hmm. what you're being offered to purchase someone described it as being engaged to by Hermes oh wow (laughs) so that's the feeling is like oh my gosh it's happening it's finally happening I'm getting my my Birkin bag and you don't have to buy the bag you know because it is going to cost you between 10 to fifty thousand dollars this bag so you don't have to buy it you can say no 
But honestly, you've come this far. So you're probably buying that bag, even if you hate the color. So that's the that's the step for purchasing an Hermes Birkin bag. It's very exclusive. Very exclusive. Do you know why it's um, why it's so exclusive to get a Birkin bag? Do they only produce a handful a year, or they do limit production to keep the products scarce? Interesting. But I mean, just like most things that are exclusive, if you flood the market, it's no longer exclusive, and yeah. so this is a huge part of why people value these bags is because of this process that they have to go through. You know, that's so interesting because I think that translates well into the next tactic, which is the rarity scarcity marketing tactic. And it's, it's hard to distinguish the exclusivity and the rarity because I feel like there's a lot of overlapping elements to them because on one hand, the limited production, which in itself makes it scarce and hikes up that demand but then on the other hand, it is that exclusivity where it is not only the product, but also the experience that people have. And so diving into rarity, just to kind of define the, the line between exclusivity and rarity, when you ask Wikipedia, it states that the principle of rarity means objects that can increase in value if they have unique properties or are exceptionally difficult to replicate. Got it. And so this brand that I'm going to introduce, Patek Philippe, is a luxury watch brand. I got this idea to connect the two because of a friend from my grad program who is a fanatic about watches, sells watches, and could not shut up about Patek Philippe. And so Patek Philippe is a family-owned Genevan luxury watch manufacturer. They are very much known for their innovative watchmaking Mm -hmm. um, for the timepieces primarily that they've created over the over the years and that's also why Patek Philippe is one of the watches luxury watches that are maintaining their value so it's not only a luxury watch for the moment to show off but it's also a really great investment long term why am i connecting this to rarity it really is because if if you compare Patek Philippe to for instance, Rolex, mm-hmm. Patek only manufactures right around 62,000 watches a year for worldwide distribution. And if you think about it, at first you're like, 62,000, that's a lot. Like, that's mm-hmm. a big number. If you compare it to the other luxury watch manufacturers, they produce right around 500,000. Oh, wow. That's a big so, difference. Big difference. And I think it kind of goes hand in hand with that exclusivity where they're not just mass producing their watches. That is kind of reflected in the pricing as well, because Patek Philippe watches range from as low as 15000 and it can go up as, as high as over 300000 Wow! for just the watch. I think Patek Philippe really only applies to a very certain target audience, you know, that A, has a disposable income, but also associates the watches with their personal identity and maybe even having that uniqueness because that replication or the ability to replicate Patek Philippe watches, I imagine is extremely difficult. I only know about this watch brand Patek Philippe because it was on the first episode of Succession. So if you all if you all watch Succession on the first episode, Tom, um, who's trying to impress Logan Roy, he gives Logan for his birthday a Patek Philippe watch, which Logan looks at and he's like, uh huh, you know, and then they end up giving it to to a family that um, that one of the sons kind of seriously disrespects in the episode. So it's like he just, even though it's extremely rare, that's that's the watch in the episode. He's like, yeah, I don't care about this present. 
Holy moly. Yeah, yeah I know. I mean, people are on the waiting list for 10 years or up to 10 years um, for most the most exclusive models of Patek Philippe. So that's very exclusive. Yeah. And I probably would have been very upset if I was the friend. <laughs> if you're Tom. Tom is the future son-in-law of Logan. And so he's trying to like just really impress him. So he buys him this super expensive watch, but he's obviously trying too hard as yeah. well. <laughs> so yikes. Um, but another example of rarity that may apply more to us in our day to day is, and I'm sure you've seen those. I've definitely, I feel like I see those every other week on Instagram, specifically when influencers try to sell me something mm-hmm. when they had a collab with a brand yes. and it's like limited razor, it's green. You will never see this green razor again. And this is the best brand that I've been mm-hmm. promoting forever and using forever. And so that's another example of rarity where, you know, influencers or even celebrities mm-hmm. come out with a collab with a brand. It creates that sense of urgency. Yeah, I think you can see rarity too, like on eBay, you know, the things that really originally cost $20 and now they're selling for a thousand, you know, or like Beanie Babies. Same oh thing, my you know, the expensive Princess Diana, Beanie Baby. Yes. They're just, there's only so many. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Good topic. Uh, urgency is up next. What are we talking about there? Yeah. So how do you know if you're being marketed with a campaign that promotes urgency? There's some specific keywords you can look for. And those are a one-time offer, last chance, don't miss out when it's gone, it's gone. Can you think of any (laughs) other ones? Only run room left. Only one room left. That's a good hotel one. (laughs) Um, so urgency is like anytime there's a limited limited something is on sale for a limited time or there's a seasonal sale um, that is those are urgency so you'll see this all the time now that you're looking for it you know a summer sale a memorial day sale those would all be urgency campaigns like act now your example from earlier um, spoke really well to urgency of like this is on sale at amazon but (laughs) just for a little bit of time and if you miss it you miss it Sorry, not sorry. So that's urgency. And so I'm talking about today, Black Friday, like the most urgent day for a shopper. And um, when is Black Friday? Well, for those of you who don't know, uh, Black Friday is the day after Thanksgiving. But actually, it's like nowadays Thanksgiving. You know, it's it's, almost the entire week of Thanksgiving. It's earlier and earlier. When I was a kid growing up, Black Friday was, you know, 6 a.m. is when the stores open and then it became earlier. Stores started opening at midnight, and then it became earlier. Sales start at 6 p.m. on Thanksgiving. But it's all qualifies under that umbrella of Black Friday. So how did Black Friday get started? So this comes from history.com. It tells us how Black Friday got started. Um, back in the 1950s, police in the city of Philadelphia, actually, they were the ones who coined the term Black Friday. And why did they coin the term Black Friday? was because... There was chaos the day after Thanksgiving in Philadelphia. There was parades. (laughs) There was hordes of shoppers and tourists flooding into the city. Um, Everyone everyone knew at that time that after Thanksgiving was the start of your shopping season for Christmas. And so just a ton of people coming into the city to make their Christmas purchases. Um, There was an Army-Navy football game that was held on that Saturday. So a lot of people traveling for the Army-Navy football game. And... The Philadelphia cops, you know, they couldn't take that day off of the day after Thanksgiving, but they were just overwhelmed by the chaos of the city of Philadelphia. So they coined that day after Thanksgiving as Black Friday. Years later in the 1980s, retailers wanted to 
promote like a more positive Black Friday message. They said that Black Friday was the day that retailers go from being in the red, so not profitable throughout the year, to being in the black, so profitable. So it was like the day that sales took a turn for the best. But there's that huge sense of urgency of Black Friday because you've got the best prices of the year, limited quantities of like really desirable products. I think like gaming systems, shoes are always a big hot product. TVs for sure as well. And like home appliances, like vacuum cleaners and stuff like that. Yep. And it's all the best prices of the year, but it's all limited. And then there's that, I think that extra pressure of like, you don't want to let your kids down. You know, you don't want to miss out on buying them the new Mattel Barbie, as -hmm. an example. And that's where really where a lot of, especially I feel like families and adults go um, or parents go on Black Friday is their Christmas shopping day, right? Big time. Uh, So yeah, there's a huge sense of urgency on Black Friday, which can turn deadly. And there are attempts to replicate the urgency of Black Friday, which I feel like just causes additional stress. So every day after Thanksgiving, you have the promise of a little bit of shopping stress. Um, You have Small Business Saturday, which is a day to support small businesses. I actually didn't know about this next one, Secondhand Sunday. Never heard of that one. Never heard of that one. But, you know, that's a thing, too, according to the internet. And then Cyber Monday is becoming big as well. Yeah. Dang. Yeah, I, I, I do feel like all of these added sale periods in the year reduce that urgency though so mm-hmm. i would love to know their sales numbers like how for instance this prime these prime days compared to the cyber monday or even just black friday yeah i'm sure there's a there should be a study where th- as the number of sales increase the urgency actually decreases because i know if i miss out this time well i'm gonna just catch it again a month from now exactly. you know, because there's going to be another sale or even six months from now i can wait yeah. six months to get that expensive perfume that I've wanted. Exactly. Yep. Totally. All right. So last but not least, we have excess demand. Excess demand. It sounds so much like it it brings me back to my economics days in high school. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So what is excess demand? It really is just if there's more demand for a product than there is supply. It is that simple. In this instance, like there, there's not this messaging, the marketing messaging of only five left and you Mm -hmm. have to buy now or, you know, this deal expires in 20 minutes, you know, (laughs) whatever it might be. There is not this enticing urgency evoking messages. It really is just bottom line. There's just not enough supply for the demand. And so the example that I would like to bring is Flagstaff housing market. And I'm, I'm keeping it local just because I feel most familiar with the Flagstaff housing market. Although I know just based on the news, it's been like a nationwide issue where the housing markets have just been booming. It's been a seller's market. People have been trying to buy houses, but there's just not enough out there. And especially for the first time home buyers who do need to rely on a credit and can't, you know, just cash buy a house. Yeah. It's a hot market, really. If you're looking to buy a house, you know, you have to be fast. You have to have the credit. You have to have all your ducks in a row, essentially, in order to even have a shot. And even then, Mm -hmm. it's just not guaranteed. Bottom line is there's just not enough housing in Flagstaff for the population, Mm -hmm. especially we're a university town. You know, we have twice a year an influx in students and then they leave again and then they we have, you know, a couple of months of breathing room, I guess, and then they come again. And so especially during that time, it's really, really hard to find a, a place to rent. Yeah. And for locals that are looking to buy, it's just been really, really hard to find something 
especially, um, well, say a year, a year and a year and a half ago, mortgage rates were really, really low. So it was really attractive for um, sellers to sell and rebuy. Yep. And for buyers or first time home buyers like myself to take the plunge and actually buy because mortgage rates were, I think, around, you know, 3%, 3, 3.5%. Well, now the situation looks way different, and um, we still don't have the houses in Flagstaff that mm-hmm. you know that meets the the demand of the people. And on top of that, mortgage rates have just skyrocketed. They I, I don't know where they're at right now. I think the last I seen was like seven percent, maybe six yeah. percent now. I think they've dropped a little bit, but ultimately, it's just not desirable, especially for homeowners that might want to sell to sell because most likely they're going to sell and then have to get a higher mortgage rate than they are currently having. And then for first-time home buyers, you have to be able to afford that, right? Mm-hmm. That mortgage rate. And so that's why I think this is a really great example of just that excess demand where people want to invest. They want to build that equity for themselves, but they really can't because there's just not much on the market. And I feel like Flagstaff is yeah. special in the sense um, that we can't, we can only grow so much because mm-hmm. we're surrounded by national forest and we don't have the space that Phoenix has, for instance, where we can just like build, build and build. So how does this excess demand in the housing market in Flagstaff impact prices of houses? That's a great question. With excess demand, limited supply, prices go up, up, up. And that's really what's been happening over the last, yeah. I don't know how many years, <laughs> a, a long time. A long time. So yeah, according to Best Flagstaff Homes, a local realty here in Flagstaff, the median price for Q1 of 2022 came in at $725,000 for a single family home wow. or for single family homes, which is up $185,000 from the first quarter in 2021. Oh my. This is a 34% increase and if we look back 2 years, they're saying it shows a 64% increase. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So this is less of an actual marketing tactic. I think it's more just the you know market situation yeah. and people are taking other consumers uh, as an inspiration, I guess, and um, trying to get a house while mortgage rates are reasonable and prices are reasonable. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are predictions on the horizon that there's going to be another housing bubble burst. So who knows what that will do. But I do think just in comparison to other areas in, in the United States that Flagstaff will probably stay pretty, pretty stable just because of that limited land that we have to expand. So, yeah. yeah. I think there will always be in places like Flagstaff, places that have like that nature element. I think there will always be an excess of demand. Mm-hmm. We're very Instagrammable. Yeah, so that is our episode today, uh, Scarcity Marketing, whether exclusivity, rarity, urgency, or excess demand. It is definitely a very persuasive marketing tactic in terms of the messaging that is used and gets me a lot. And same. You too. Yeah, same. <laughs> and I think if you think about it, it probably gets you quite a bit as well. We always, you know, or often want things that we can't have or that seem out of reach for us. And that is exactly that what drives demand. From a marketer's perspective, uh, scarcity isn't a you know, one size fits all solution. You definitely need to understand who you're talking to, who your target audience is, and what makes them tick and what makes them buy. 
From a consumer's perspective, you know, we do have a couple of questions to ask yourself to, yeah, consider whether this is really what you need or not. Ask yourself, do I really need or want this product and or service? Am I purchasing this because of its benefits or because of its attributes? Will this purchase serve my perceived personal identity? Is this product a beneficial long-term investment? Do I think this product or service will be on sale again? And what are the perceived consequences if I miss this opportunity? So ask yourself these questions. Maybe it'll help hold you off on that purchase um, and save you a little bit of money. If so, you're welcome. (laughs) And if not, then we hope you enjoy that product or service that you end up buying. And that's our episode. That's our episode. Sydney, uh, what are we talking about next week? Next week, we're going to talk about viral marketing campaigns. So we're going to look at some campaigns that went viral. We'll have some examples and we'll talk about like why do certain things become viral while others just flop? So yeah, it's going to be fun. It'll be a fun one. Thanks for listening, everybody. We are Marketing Made Me Do It, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you listened, it really helps new podcasts out to give us a review and subscribe to our channel wherever you get your podcasts. So thank you so much for those of you who take that next step and do that. We appreciate you. We're new every Thursday. And if you miss us between episodes, join the conversation on Instagram at Marketing Made Me Do It. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye. If it's your first time listening, we are Sydney. Oh, Sydney. No, (laughs) Sylvia. (laughs) And Sydney. (laughs) We are Sylvia and Sydney. (laughs) Oh, no. Nailed it. (laughs) Nailed it.